0: You're listening to the Carnegie, Tsinghua, China and the World podcast, a series of conversations with Chinese and international experts on China's foreign policy, international role and China's relations with the world brought to you from the Carnegie Tsinghua Center located here in Beijing. I'm Paul Hanley, the director of the Carnegie Tsinghua Center, and I'll be your host. Today I'll be speaking with my Carnegie colleague, Dmitry Trenin, director of the Carnegie Moscow Center. Uh, you may listeners may recall that about one year ago Dimitri and I did a podcast Where Dimitri talked uh, about the crisis in Ukraine it was back in February 2014 The difference today is that Dmitri is here with me in Beijing and we can pick up our conversations Not necessarily where they left off but a year's gone by uh, Welcome Dimitri and thank you for joining our podcast again today.
1: Glad to be here Paul. Thank you so much
0: like I said, Dmitry is the director of the Carnegie Moscow Center. He's been with the center since its inception in 1994. In 1994 right. He has served in the Soviet and Russian Armed Forces from 1972 to 1993 and taught at the War Studies Department of the Military Institute from 1986 to 1993. He is one of the leading voices helping the international community better understand the Russian perspective on a range of issues, including the current crisis in Ukraine and evolving Russian foreign policy. Uh, Last time, Dimitri, you were on the podcast, we spoke about the Ukraine crisis as it was unfolding. Uh, We're now, as I said, more than a year later, and I want to pick up on that conversation and talk about the impact of this crisis, the Ukraine crisis, on Russia's relations with China and on the global order. Over lunch this afternoon, you and I talked about an improving China-Russia relationship. On May 9th, of this year, Russia celebrated the 70th anniversary of World War II, or the end of World War II, with a military parade. And for the first time, that military parade included a unit of the Chinese People's Liberation Army. Chinese President Xi Jinping was the most prominent foreign dignitary to attend. I want to start out by asking you, in your view, what did Xi, President Xi's attendance, in stark contrast, of course, uh, to the decisions of Western leaders to stay away from the parade uh, in protest, of course, of Russia's involvement in Ukraine. What does Xi's attendance say about the current state of China-Russia relations? What should we be thinking about in that context?
1: Well, first of all, I would say that uh, President Xi was not just the most prominent figure in Moscow at that victory parade, but uh, he was in a category of his own among foreign leaders. Uh, President Putin spent uh, almost the entire time of the parade talking with President Xi, and uh, that was prominently broadcast by Russian television. Now, to give a very short answer to your question, I would say uh, it basically shows that uh, uh, the relationship to China has become as important to Russia as the relationship to the United States. But, of course, the quality of the relationship is different, and the tonality of the relationship is vastly different. I would say that for China, uh, the uh, Russia relationship is also increasingly important, not, not nearly as much as, as the other way around. But as part of uh, China's uh, more proactive foreign policy, uh, the Russia relationship is, uh, is, 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 is getting uh, higher value. Mm -hmm. than it it used to have. Mm -hmm. And I think that the pictures from Moscow parade basically illustrate that. Mm -hmm. In the mid-90s,
0: China and Russia on an economic scale in terms of their economic strength were pretty much on par. Um, Fast forward to today, China's economy is four times the size of Russia's economy in, some, in many ways, the dynamics of that relationship between Russia and China have changed, and this must create some tension uh, that Russian leaders need to reconcile in terms of its current relationship today. Is that something that holds back the relationship from, from becoming a, something more strategically significant?
1: Well, I think it holds up the relationship um, in various ways. There is um, clearly um, be an appreciation of uh, China having become stronger than Russia in, uh, in, in, in some very important areas, including uh, starting perhaps with the economic area. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Russians have recognized that. They, I think that they have internalized that. And I think that what you're seeing is... Uh, Russia adjusting or readjusting itself to something that um, Russians um, have never known from their own experience with China, something that they've only learned from books on history, a China that is stronger than Russia. Uh, because uh, almost since the time that the Chinese and the Russians came uh, to face for the first time in the 17th century, Russia had been on the way up and mm-hmm. China had been on the way down, mm-hmm. more or less. And then, of course, during the 20th century, the Russians dominated the relationship uh, in, in various ways. Well, uh, I think that the Russians uh, basically do not see themselves in competition against the Chinese. This mm-hmm. is the difference between the Russia today and the Soviet Union of, mm-hmm. of, of uh, of the 20th century, when the Soviet Union uh, competed against the United States. Um, uh, the Russians, do not, Russians today do not compete against China. They basically know that the competition in terms of of, um, of GDP um, has long been won by the Chinese. But then the, the Russians are uh, trying to protect themselves against the uh, much Chinese influence mm-hmm. a good um, illustration of that is the bridge across the Amo River which should link the two countries the the Chinese part of the bridge is finished the Russian part of the bridge is missing mm-hmm. the Russians don't feel that they, they don't don't feel confident enough at this point of course there are many other reasons sure but I think the psychological background mm-hmm. for all those many reasons is that the russians don't feel that they are very that they don't feel very confident vis-a-vis the chinese mm-hmm. they, they still fear mm-hmm. massive chinese presence which is uh, sure. which is now lacking uh, yeah. which is not which is absent in, in in the far east and siberia but potentially they they, mm-hmm. uh, they uh, are apprehensive of it you
0: yeah, know i've heard some people say that you hear a lot of talk about the u.s china relationship has a a great degree of mistrust. And I have heard people say that the one bilateral relationship that has more mistrust than the U.S.-China relationship is the China-Russia relationship. How would you respond to that?
1: Well, I don't know. I think that there is a fair amount of mistrust between uh, uh, Russians and Chinese. But I would also say that historically, historically, the relationship uh, was pretty good and pretty close uh, among ordinary people uh, in the 50s, uh, primarily the 1950s, where there was a lot of uh, uh, economic exchange between the two countries, and Russia was doing, a Soviet Union was doing a lot to help uh, communist China economically and militarily. Um, today, uh, what is absent, I think, is uh, is this visceral fear of China. There they are protective things like not building your part of the bridge. Mm-hmm. There right, are other right. other things uh, in in that same nature. Uh, there's a certain um, barrier for technology tra- military technology transfers to China mm-hmm. from Russia, which is now being lowered, but it, which is which is still higher than let's say the barrier. Uh, for uh, foreign military transfers to, say, India. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are a few other things, but I would say that uh, today it is very much a state-to-state relationship Mm -hmm. still. Mm -hmm. And at the highest level, we talked about Putin and Xi, uh, I think that the amount of uh, empathy between those two individuals is almost uh, phenomenal. Mm. it, it it's, it's very different from the relationship that, say, Putin had with uh, Hu Jintao or uh, Jiang Zemin or Yeltsin and Jiang, Z, Jiang Zemin. Uh, the relationship at the top, and this is the relationship that counts in the state-to-state yeah. state, uh, mm-hmm. state state relations. Uh, that relationship is, uh, is, is, uh, is characterized by growing understanding and, I would say, a degree of mutual trust.
0: So let me,
1: let me ask more on this because I think there's a lot of interest out there
0: in terms of what are the things that you think um, have led to this close relationship between the two leaders, Xi Jinping and President Putin? What is it that brings them together? What is it that that, that, it, that allows them to have this better relationship than
1: leaders between China and Russia have had before? Um. Part of it is personal, but the most important part, personal, i.e. chemistry, and we can talk about that at length, but I don't think that's the most important part of it. I think the more important part of it is that um, both leaders are eager to learn something from uh, the other side to make their countries stronger. For Putin, it's um, China's... Economic achievements. Russia has not been able to come up with a model of sustainable economic Mm -hmm. development um, in the 15 years of uh, Putin being at power. So he thinks he can learn something from China, and not only him, a lot of others uh, in in the Russian leadership, also in the economic and the economic wing of the government. Uh, The Chinese look at Russia's authoritarianism, which has uh, important elements that make that authoritarianism more sustainable. Mm -hmm. And that is the uh, the institution of elections, uh, the freedom of speech, Uh, although it does not extend to, let's say, uh, political freedom in the fullest sense of the word, uh, they uh, make the... um, the leadership of Russia uh, much more, um, uh, much better protected mm-hmm. against uh, various um, social, economic, and other upheavals that may happen. And mm-hmm. the Chinese are looking; uh, they were looking at 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 uh, Gorbachev's Soviet Union um, with the purpose of learning what not things that they should not be doing. Mm-hmm. So perestroika was a catastrophe, katastroika, mm-hmm. as some mm-hmm. people called it in the Soviet <laughs> Union. Uh, but they're looking at Putin's Russia uh, as a country that has found a way to, uh, under very different and difficult circumstances, to uh, protect the authoritarian system with the democratic institutions that make it stronger mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and much more difficult to mm-hmm. topple. Mm-hmm. That, I think, brings them together. I think that they have, uh, broadly speaking, uh, very uh, similar worldviews. Yeah, say um, a little bit about that
0: with respect to the United States. How does their, each of their views vis-a-vis the United States, is there obviously something there that they share?
1: Well, I think that for the United States, uh, excuse me, for China, Uh, the United States is, the United States domination is something that uh, should be uh, on the way out. And that uh, this domination is uh, something that uh, the Chinese uh, do not accept, Mm -hmm. really. Uh, The idea of a multipolar world uh, was born in China and they've been sticking with that idea for 20 plus years. Uh, They have a different approach toward the United States. They benefited from the U.S.-dominated world. You you may say that they benefited from U.S. domination more than many other countries. Uh, For the Russians, um, uh, U.S. domination is intolerable uh, for very different reasons. Uh, The Russians have not managed to benefit very much in the post-Cold War era uh, economically. Uh, the Russians uh, still reel from uh, the uh, the way the Cold War uh, ended and uh, what followed the end of the Cold War. They hoped to be in Putin personally, hoped to be embraced by the West. They hoped that Russia would be fully integrated into Western structures, would become a Western country, uh, the second most important Western country after the United States. That was more or less the ambition, and that ambition was never realized. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they see the United States as uh, as, uh, as, as as a country that uh, uh, that dominates the world, that does not answer Russia's national interest very much, and that that's that calls for a very different kind of strategy toward the U.S. But at the at the level of uh, resentment of U.S. domination and of uh, uh, particular U.S. policies. Uh, Mr. Putin and Mr. Xi, I think, see eye to eye.
0: So what I hear you saying and, and, and what I've seen in your writing when you've written quite a bit about this as of late is that despite many who say that the Russia-China improving relationship is really more of a marriage of convenience, you believe that based on the Ukraine crisis and the, inter- and the economic sanctions that were levied Uh, against Russia by the West following the Ukraine crisis that this is turning into more of a partnership between Beijing and Moscow uh, and that potentially there are real implications of this uh, for the United States and U.S. leadership
1: uh, on the world stage. That's exactly right. That's what I think. I believe it would be too complacent to continue to uh, Understand the uh, Russia-China relationship in terms of a marriage of convenience or an axis of convenience. Uh, It's much more than that. It's it's a partnership that I think is uh, is is even becoming more than a partnership. In 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 my recent articles, I called it an entente. I I haven't found a better word Mm -hmm. to describe it, but it's it is based on uh, on some shared uh, views about the most important things uh, politically and I think that that's that's the way to characterize it it's, it's not an alliance it's not um, not a block clearly but it's something which is uh, an in, in increasingly close relationship um, I believe that um, uh, the Russians um, having been robbed of the, of the chance to play, um, to have to hold a balance between their Asian policies and their Western policies, have now shifted very clearly toward Asia, toward China. Um, not so much out of conviction, not by design, but because uh, uh, the result of the Ukraine crisis, which you've mentioned, was not only confrontation with the United States that the Russians would have probably been able to live with, but a real breakdown of Russia's all-important relationship with Europe, and within Europe of Russia's premier relationship with Germany. Mm-hmm. It was the Germany-Russia relationship after the Cold War that was a mainstay of, uh, uh, of uh, stability in Europe. And uh, that was the main connection of of Russia to the West was through Germany more than through any other country that Russia linked to the West. Now that relationship is badly broken, not to be restored anytime soon. So although, uh, despite the sanctions, much of Russia's uh, uh, trade, 50% of it, is with Western Europe, and uh, China, although this is, although it is the largest trading partner for Russia, only accounts for about one-sixth of the uh, Russian-Europe trade, still the uh, relationship with China is, is becoming closer. And it's taking new forms, such as uh, um, uh, an energy relationship that includes Chinese access to Russia's natural resources which China did not enjoy before. Uh, Western companies could, 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 um, could be allowed to the natural uh, resources of Russia. But Chinese companies, because they were state-run, because right. they were seen as, as an arm of the Chinese state, yeah. were, brought, were barred from coming close to that. Now that bar has been at least partially uh, withdrawn. Um, China's infrastructure projects, um, in particular those dealing with the uh, Silk Road, uh, Silk Road Economic Belt, uh, are now being uh, uh, being being accepted as um, um, as part of a of, of a joint development project, if you like, for Siberia and Central Asia. And uh, the expectation of many in the West of uh, Sino-Russian friction, rivalry, uh, even conflict over Central Asia, um, I think is far-fetched. Both countries, for different reasons, um, are interested in uh, a more harmonious relationship and certainly not interested in a clash that would make both countries weaker vis-a-vis their most Mm -hmm. serious rivals. Certainly, Russia would be made much weaker than China if there were a clash, but China would not benefit at all from it. So I would expect Russia and China to make mutual concessions Hmm. as they integrate the uh, Silk Silk Road economic belt project with Russia's uh, Eurasian Economic Union. And uh, the Chinese, despite,
0: despite this being, you know, sort of Russia's traditional backyard uh, sphere of influence. Well, you, I, you anticipate that this, this will go.
1: I would smoothly. anticipate that it will be a, a harmonious uh, relationship. I don't think. Well, first of all, I believe that the idea of Central Asia as Russia's zone of influence is dated. Mm-hmm. The countries of Central Asia have have managed to uh, essentially take a very autonomous stance vis-a-vis Moscow. Uh, I cannot name a single country in the region that Moscow could uh, say it's in my pocket. Not a single one. The Chinese are massively present economically in all Central Asian countries, easing out uh, Russia's economic presence there. Mm. But Russia still plays an important role of uh, a security protector for the central Asian states. Mm -hmm. And the Chinese may recognize Russia's political and the political military role, security Mm. role in the region, even as Russia would recognize uh, uh, an an enhanced uh, economic role for China in the same region. So mutual concessions. Mm-hmm. which would uh, not turn Central Asia into a condominium because I think that the countries in, in the region have managed to play China off Russia and uh, sure. actually use the, the connection to both countries to their own benefit pretty well. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I, 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 I believe that uh, Central Asia is more likely to be an area of cooperation between Moscow and Beijing and, and less of an area of competition. Um, let me... Uh, ask a final question uh,
0: regarding movement by China, Russia, and other non-Western countries to build new international institutions, international structures of their own. Um, Shanghai Cooperation Organization, the BRICS Development Bank, or the New Development Bank, uh, and then as the the latest, uh, the Chinese initiative um, of the Asia Infrastructure Investment Bank. Um, how are these related to, are they related to at all, China, Russia improving relations, and, and how do you see these playing out in terms of, as you talked about, the global international, the global order?
1: Well, I think that since both countries, China and Russia, have an interest in uh, in lesser U.S. dominance, in, in, a, in more multipolarity, um, and since those two countries are uh, among the, uh, perhaps, well, I would say that with India, they are the three most important uh, players, uh, or with Brazil, four most important players economically in the non-Western world. Uh, China and Russia are also two most important uh, military players in the non-Western world, I think this connection, China and Russia, could serve as a catalyst for non-Western institutions, in which China will probably play the role of of the economic power. And the Russians, um, I think, attempt to play the role of of a spokesman, uh, of, um, of a military power, which... in terms of military technology, Russia is still uh, pretty far ahead of China Mm -hmm. in in a number of areas. Uh, So I think that they can uh, play somewhat different roles, uh, but together uh, this connection could lead to a more consolidated non-Western community within the global community that would uh, promote multipolarity a couple of steps farther.
0: Always fascinating to talk to you. Thank you very much, Dimitri, for joining our podcast again today. Perhaps our third podcast can take
1: place in Moscow on one of my future trips. Well, thank you very much, Paul, and you're certainly very welcome in Moscow. Thank well, thank
0: you. you. Uh, that's it for this edition of Carnegie Tsinghua China and the World podcast. If you'd like to read Dimitri's analysis and updates on the crisis in Ukraine, and on improving China-Russia relations, I encourage you to explore the Carnegie Moscow Center's website at www.carnegie.ru and follow Dimitri on Twitter, where he's very active, at, at Dimitri Trenin. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in next time.